The final four is uh, doesn't have any one, two, or three seeds for the first time ever. After a crazy last couple of weeks, out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the Sports Zone by Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. Ricky, good to have you on the show once again. And I know you were in Kansas City uh, for the uh, for the weekend, and uh, uh, let's uh, I'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Obviously, the Texas Miami game. I'll get to that more momentarily. But a couple of poll questions we have up. First up, I'm sure. Uh, you've seen plenty of the uh, replay of the uh, final 1.2 seconds or you know, close to that, the last possession for San Diego State uh, yesterday against Creighton. So do you think that Trammell was uh, fouled with 1.2 seconds remaining against Creighton? Yeah, I think he was probably fouled. It's just such a bummer to see a great game like that decided by the officials. Uh, but that replay has been shown a billion times. I do think he was hit on the last shot, really, from Creighton's perspective. It's just something you can't do in that situation. you got to be disciplined enough to know not to foul. San Diego State's offense has been really struggling throughout this run. They're still only number 75 in the country, even as they break into the Final Four. So I do think it was probably the right call. You just hate to see a great game end like that. And it's a tough way for Creighton to season in, obviously, like that too, huh? Yeah, because they were a really good team. Uh, for all the talk about you know the upsets in the NCAA tournament so far, Creighton was a preseason top-10 team. They had gotten better as the season went on. Obviously, they lost Ryan Kalkbrenner for six games uh, to Mono during the middle of the season. But, you know, in this tournament, they looked like the team we expected to see in the preseason, the team that really had everything you need in its starting five to go on a deep tournament run. Uh, and the bracket broke for them exactly the right way. So this has to be extra painful for them. Could have been their first Final Four, I believe, in program history, uh, yeah. and just came up just short. All right, Connecticut's domination of Gonzaga, certainly uh, the most impressive performance of the weekend, one of the most impressive performances of the season, quite frankly. So uh, Connecticut's joining uh, Florida Atlantic, Miami, and San Diego State. So, you know, saying that obviously the Connecticut's performance was most impressive, what was the second most impressive performance of the weekend, Florida Atlantic, Miami, or uh, San Diego State? I'm going to go with Miami over Houston. I picked Houston to win the tournament with the Final Four being in Houston this year. It just felt like everything was setting up for Kelvin Sampson and the Cougars to cut down the nets at the end of this tournament, but that was way too presumptive. I thought in that game, uh, Miami just proved they were the better team compared to Houston. Houston could not score enough points to keep up with the Hurricanes, and we know Miami's offense. Is really, really good when it's cooking. Uh, good offense beats good defense, and I think that's what played out in that Miami-Houston game. The shot-making from Nigel Pack, Isaiah Wong, was just so impressive. And, uh, you know, the way Miami really came out of the halftime locker room and put some separation between them and Houston, I thought was pretty incredible. So uh, I like Miami, I think. That, that win against Houston was really impressive. So, in yesterday, Miami's uh, victory against Texas and rally against Texas, totally different. What impressed you the most yesterday about Miami, other than Jordan Miller, who was perfect, basically? Yeah, I think what really stands out, seeing them up close, night of front row, center court seats for the game, uh, at the media table, Miami is so small. Like, Jordan Miller looks like a two-guard or a three. He was playing the spot during some lineups to close out that game. 
Texas, even with the Dylan Bisu injury, just has so much more size, so much more depth. But Miami, it almost reminds me of the old Chip Kelly offenses at Oregon. Spread and shred, and that's kind of what Miami does when they have the ball. They have multiple guards who can get downhill, force defensive rotations, and then they just drive and kick, and they got the shooters on the perimeter to knock down shots. Uh, Nigel Pack has been incredible, obviously the most talked-about transfer of the offseason because of his big NIL deal. Standing next to Nigel Pack, he's listed as six foot. That guy's about five foot nine. He's a very small player, but he was so good uh, in Kansas City. I think he had seven threes against Houston and hit some big shots, too, uh, against the Longhorns to close them out. So Miami, it's just incredible sort of how they can compete with just bigger, more physical teams like Houston and Texas when they really don't have much size. It goes against everything you think you know about basketball, but hey, this is a new era of the sport in Miami. has changed with the times in more ways than one, both with the NIL and their style of play. Uh, it's been a remarkable run by the Hurricanes, that's for sure. So Texas up 13 points in the second half of that game. What do you think they're sitting uh, this morning and going, I'm like, what, what went most wrong for Texas in that second half? Yeah, you know, being there, the game really changed when Marcus Carr had an injury. Now, he came back. It looked like it was either a hamstring or a groin. I haven't seen anything on what the injury actually was. But he just wasn't as effective when he came back. It felt like Texas was pressing a bit uh, after he came out of the lineup, and that's sort of when the Miami run started. I think, you know, Texas has so much size, so much depth, but really their guard play is phenomenal, too. I remember when Marcus Carr was the biggest transfer in the country choosing between Texas and Kentucky coming out of Minnesota. Tyrese Hunter, I thought, was one of the best transfers this past year, going from Iowa State to Texas. So their guard play, Texas, was phenomenal the entire way. I think that Miami's defense really locked them up on the perimeter in those final 13 minutes. Wuga Poplar was phenomenal in closing out on Sir Jabari Rice. He couldn't get to his three-point shot that had been such a weapon throughout this tournament run. Uh, and, you know, I think that Texas really just started pressing. Miami was getting stringing together stops. They were scoring on the other end. Uh, and it was just an avalanche of points for the Hurricanes. So Texas got hit hard. They got hit quick. And they simply didn't have a response to Miami. I know there's speculation out there that Rodney Terry is going to have the uh, interim tag removed here at some point. Could he have done anything differently in the second half of that game? Yeah, I think for sure he could have. I would have to go back and really like focus on the schematic choices to try to figure out you know what exactly went wrong. Uh, but when you're up 13 with under 13 minutes left, like that is a game you got to close out one way or another. One is just Miami kept getting to the foul line and then they didn't miss. So I think you know just focusing on defending without fouling would be a big thing in that scenario. Texas has so much depth that you. Could see him having more lineup combinations that he could have gone to. Uh, but, you know, it's tough. I mean, Miami's offense is really, really good. Their defense is still ranked outside of the top 100 in the country. But the thing about a shaky defense is sometimes you can get stopped just by the other team missing shots. If Texas missed some shots. They were able to, uh, you know, Miami was able to get to the foul line on the other end, hit all their free throws. So that's sort of how a comeback like that happens. They certainly got to the free throw line. Um, was there too much, too many whistles in that game? Do you think you were there? So, what did you think at the time? You know, the one 
call that stands out, obviously, is the foul on the box out with like a minute right. left. I hated that call. Uh, I w- wish that would have been a no call in that situation because, you know, we teach boxing out. It's like proper basketball form. It's sort of a selfless thing to do, too, on the court. Kind of a lost art in today's day and age to box out. And to have a foul on what looked to be a pretty good box out, I guess the guy was backing up. Uh, but, you know, at first glance, that looks like an over-the-back foul on Miami, and instead they call it on Texas because the guy was taking some steps back as he was boxing out. Just a really tough call, so I hated that. Uh, a lot of the other foul calls I thought were pretty legit. Like, Jordan Miller was getting to the line a lot because he's just burning these bigger, slower Texas defenders off the dribble. You know, when you get a step or two on him, the only way you can really challenge a shot is to try to foul him. So I, I did think a lot of the fouls were legit. Hated that box out call, though. And, it's, you know, it's tough both games yesterday end on controversial calls, whether they were the right call or not. You just wish the game wasn't in the rough hands at the end of the side. Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation currently in the sports zone. So let's go back to San Diego State and Creighton. Let's talk about the – you know, San Diego State moving on. What has impressed you the most of San Diego State in the in the uh, you know four wins to get to this point of the tournament? Yeah, I think obviously their defense is what stands out. But to me, what's so impressive is how they just shut off both the rim and the three point line. Like they, it's a defense that packs the paint, doesn't really allow you to get anything free inside. But their closeouts are so good on the perimeter too. They're able to still challenge threes without doing, like, reckless closeouts that are going to, you know, turn into three-shot shooting fouls or where someone can just pump fake them and, uh, you know, attack the closeout, either get to the basket or to the mid-range pull-up. San Diego State's defense is just so disciplined on those closeouts. I think, you know, you never see a defender being caught in the air and someone drives by them, uh, and they're able to do that while still fortifying the paint. So the defense is just unbelievable. The offense absolutely is not pretty. Uh, it's wild to me that this team is in the final four, but, you know, it's like who's really going to score them? Their defense has proven it against some top competition throughout this tournament and really all season. So you got to give it up to the program and to Brian Dutcher, and, uh, you know, they certainly earned it. As far as uh, my – except for Flor- – actually, let's go Florida Atlantic here. Florida Atlantic's run to the Final Four – what is impression the most about that? I mean, obviously, Florida Atlantic could have lost the first game against Memphis, but uh, they got yeah. a favorable call in that game, too, and uh, they moved on. And Miami could have lost to Drake in the first round, and here Miami That's is in true. the Final Four. So, you know, it, it goes yeah. in every way. Uh, certainly, you need a lot of good luck to go on a run in March Madness in the single elimination tournament. Both Miami and Florida Atlantic had it. To me, what stands out about Florida Atlantic is they just don't look like a Cinderella. Maybe it's because they got a seven foot one guy or seven foot two guy inside with Vlad Golden. Uh, that's not the type of center a mid major Cinderella typically has, like Florida Atlantic. Um, and they've proven themselves all season. I mean, they're top thirty in both ends of the quarter, just around there. They rebound well, they shoot well, they have good guard play, they have a good big man. So they kind of just check every box. And, you know, when I think back to real Cinderella runs over the last 10 or 20 years, this Florida Atlantic team just doesn't really feel like a true Cinderella because they, they sort of just seem like they're really good. They, you know, they have everything you want from a team that can make a run in March, and they've done it the whole season. 
So obviously they got lucky with the refs not awarding the timeout to Memphis. That was that was rough for the Tigers. Obviously they got lucky playing a 16 seed in the second round instead of a one seed. Uh, but you know they went blow to blow with Kansas State, a Kansas State team that was so impressive in reaching the Elite Eight, and they came out on top, hearing SAU chance in Madison Square Garden. I mean, what a world! <laughs> that only happens in March, and I still can't believe that you know it played out that way. But I don't think Florida Atlantic's a true Cinderella. I just think they're really good. You know, three losses on the whole season. They've they've taken care of business in Conference USA. They have some good non-conference wins, so. Uh, they've been awesome, and Dusty May, he's, he's just done an incredible job. All right, so UConn, uh, they've rolled to four wins in a row here, even though you know, the first half against Iona was a little shaky, but since then it's been you know, domination basically from start to finish in games. So what has impressed you most about UConn in these four straight wins? Yeah, I'm going to start with Sonoga. I feel like last year, you know, really good rim protector and rebounder. And then offensively, good interior scorer. But his game's just so much more complete now than it was last year. Like, I drove out to Creighton to see UConn versus Creighton. I believe it was at the beginning of February. And Snogo was ripping threes in that game. He had, like, three or four threes. So just, like, the threat of the jump shot makes him much more difficult to defend. And now he can pass so much better, too. And especially when, you know, the double team collapses in on him, it feels like he doesn't freak out anymore. He's, like, more composed. He can see the floor keeps the ball high, makes the right passing read, is able to get it out of his hands. And UConn's got a lot of shooting around him. It really helps. And, you know, the one reason I was skeptical of UConn coming into this tournament is because I feel like you usually need a great creator on the ball, great point guard play. That's what you always need uh, in March. And UConn doesn't have that. They do have a very good guard in Jordan Hawkins, but Hawkins doesn't even dribble the ball. He just sort of, like, runs around the – perimeter like he's Ray Allen and he tries to you know bend the defense with his shooting gravity uh so it's kind of bizarre to see a UConn team without a traditional point guard in any sense go on this type of run but they look like the best team right now there's no doubt they've won these four games by an average of like 22 points I want to say off the top of my head uh Andre Jackson sort of is their point guard is an athletic wing He's playing his best ball of the year right now. I think that UConn has really figured out how to utilize him. And defenses have sort of refused to guard him on the perimeter because he can't shoot. And, yeah, UConn just has – they got a lot of talent. They got shooting. They got athleticism. They got a dominant big man. And they've – you know, the point guard is really the only thing they lack because everything else on this team really is Final Four caliber. All right, so let's look ahead to Saturday. If you have any first impressions in these games, I'll give you some uh, you know, early lines in these games uh, for my end. Uh, UConn's a five-and-a-half-point favorite over Miami. First thing that comes to mind in that matchup is what? The size advantage of UConn inside. I mean, how does Miami guard Tanoga? Uh Well, you know, Miami hasn't had the size to defend anything this whole year, and yet they still knock out Houston, knock out Texas, so you got to give the Hurricanes a very good chance. It's going to come down to can Miami's threes, you know, outweigh what should be some easy two for Utah, being able to pound the ball inside to Sonoga. I don't know how Miami really stops him, but, you know, maybe they don't need to. If Long and Nigel Pack are hitting enough threes on the other end, uh, it's going to be a really fascinating contrast of styles in that. I give UConn the edge, but at this point, I, I can't be too surprised by anything Miami does. 
Florida Atlantic against San Diego State and uh, SDSU is a minus two-point favorite in that game as far as you know, kind of a consensus worldwide line at this point. Uh, what comes to mind in that matchup? I have no idea where to go on that one. Like my, my first instinct is I kind of think Florida Atlantic should be the favorite just because they've been the more complete team all year. San Diego State is like their offense is just so unimpressive, for, especially for a team to reach this stage. You just wonder if they can score enough. Obviously, no one can score on them, so it hasn't really mattered. Uh, but I kind of like the balance of the Owls. I think the Owls are just a really good team. And, you know, what a world. To see them in the Final Four, if they could go to the National Championship game, that's just wild. Uh, kind of gives the Owls a slight, a slight favorite uh, coming into that game, but, you know, we'll see. Ricky, I really appreciate it. Great stuff, and uh, continue to have fun. Thanks. Thank you. Ricky O'Donnell, SB Nation, excellent stuff there. And